the parsha. Let's start. The parsha is Yitro. The parsha Yitro. In the parsha Yitro, there are what we call Aseret Hadibrot. And the question that has been asked in the over the generations is: Does Aseret Hadibrot have a special standing? Is there something different about the Aseret Hadibrot than the rest of the Torah? Now everybody knows that today. Today, this, the, the standardized answer to that question is no. The Torah is all the same. The Torah is all the same. There's no difference between, between the Torah of uh, Aserta Debrot and the rest of the, the Torah. Even though, you know that in Shul, when we read the Aserta Debrot, most Ashkenazi Shuls, everybody stands up. Now, there must be some reason that everybody is standing up. And it's in spite of the fact that the Rambam said, the Rambam clearly said, the Rambam who is like highly regarded in our halakhic world, the Rambam said, don't stand up. He said, because if you stand up, you're sort of saying that there's something in the Torah that's more important than other parts of the Torah. So if you stand up a Sarita Debrot, somehow you're saying that the Sarita Debrot have greater importance, so you don't want to say that. So the Rambam said, sit, don't stand up. But we know there are other places we stand up uh, in shul which don't really make that much sense. Like uh, last week, Shirat Hayam, in many, many shuls, the tzibur gets up in Shirat Hayam. There, there's no particular uh, tzibui, there's no particular command that is made on the people, and yet uh, we all stand up as though something's happening. I mean, nothing's happening. We also stand up, we also stand up uh, uh, often, although not as much, but we also stand up when, uh, at the end of a Sefer. Right, you know that you, somebody must have told you that the Torah is divided up into five Sfarim, even though it's not so easy to understand why that's the case. If Moshe Rabbeinu taught the Torah to Bnei Yisrael in the Midbar, in the desert, over the 38 years that they spent in the desert, it's not so clear why Sfarim means something, or there's something special about finishing a Sefer as opposed to being in the middle of a Sefer. But in any event, these Minhagim, it's very, hard to, uh, it's very hard to determine, very hard to determine why the Minhagim started. I mean, so it's a lot easier to explain a Minhag than to be able to figure out why it started, right? In other words, you, we're very clever, we can explain anything. Anything, anything, minhag, any, anything people do can be understood, can be explained, can be ju- justified. But that doesn't mean that you understand why it started. Who the first person was who stood up at Aserita Debrot, right? That, you can't, it's very hard to, to so I would like to, today uh, uh, think about a few uh, ways of looking at the Aseret that they brought. At the Aseret that they brought. Now you have to remember that when we talk about the receiving of the Torah, when traditionally, right, talk about Matan Torah and Kabbalah Torah, there are two moments that we're talking about. One is Vav Sivan. Vav Sivan, which traditionally is the day which we celebrate as Shavuot, right? What happened on Shavuot was <coughs> fundamentally an experience, an experience. B'nai Yisrael stood at Har Sinai, 
and they experienced HaKadosh Baruch Hu giving Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu. Oh, okay, I'm not talking about the content. I'm talking about the experience. Right? The experience was HaKadosh Baruch Hu giving Torah to Bnei Yisra, to Moshe Rabbeinu. They, they were all in Moshe Rabbeinu's head somehow. Now the Torah that was given to Moshe Rabbeinu at that time, on the sixth day of Sivan, we call Aseret HaDivrot. B'nai Yisrael, however, at least according to Chazal, B'nai Yisrael didn't hear all the Aseret HaDivrot at that time. They only heard the first two Dibrot. They only heard the first Dibrot. And that, and the reason for that experience was to prove to B'nai Yisrael that there could be such a thing. What thing? What such a thing? That there is a Torah and that God is going to give it to people. This idea that God has a Torah and that God is willing to give that Torah to B'nai Israel is defended, justified, uh, actualized by what we call Matan Torah on Vav Sivan when Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Har Sinai and everybody stood at the foot of the mountain. And then when Moshe Rabbeinu came down from the mountain, when Moshe Rabbeinu came down from the mountain, he taught B'nai Yisrael, taught B'nai Yisrael, all of the Aseret brought. Right, so, so in any, any event, the purpose of what we call Matan Torah and Vav Sivan, the purpose was not so much to teach people the Torah, I'm telling you my opinion, right, don't say that somebody else said it. The person was not so much the teacher's content. It wasn't that, you know, because, because after all, these people were the children of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and Yosef. <coughs> and they had a tradition. They knew the tradition. But what was it that they were going to learn at Har Sinai? They were going to learn that God could, this could actually happen, that God would give the Torah to Bnei Yisrael. Now, when was the Torah actually given to Bnei Yisrael? If, in fact, at Har Sinai they only received the Aseret HaDibrot. So when did they receive, uh, when did they receive the Torah? During the 38 years they spent in the desert after the Chet HaMeraglim, after the, the sin of the spies, they drayed around for 38 years. And during those 38 years, Moshe Rabbeinu taught them the Torah. The Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu taught them, he received from God. He received from God. He went into the old night, right into that tent. There was a cloud. The cloud came down. The cloud went up. Moshe Rabbeinu went in. And he received the next part of the Torah, right, as it was written. And then he came out and he taught it to B'nai Yisrael. And then they wrote it down. They either did write it down, you know, piece by piece, or they wrote it out. That's the Machlokad in the Gemara. If they wrote down piece by piece, they wrote out all at the end. Okay, but that's how Moshe Rabbeinu, so what, what's the relationship? What's the relationship between the Torah and Har Sinai? What's the, it seems to me, I mean, I'm telling you the way I understand it. The relationship between the Torah that we received at Har Sinai was that Har Sinai was a proof that it could happen. And so when Moshe Rabbeinu came to Bnei Yisrael and they said, let's learn the next parak of, uh, 
of Torah. Let's look at the next paragraph of Torah. What Moshe Rabbeinu, what B'nai Israel said, look, he, must, he knows it. I mean, because he was there. We were there when he was there, when he received that Sarah that they brought. And therefore we understand. It's, it's simple to us that he's telling us the truth. He, Moshe Rabbeinu, is telling us the truth. So we have to understand that, that Matan Torah was a process. Matan Torah was a process. The first part of the process was to prove that there could be such a thing. And the second part of the process was, here it is. This is it, letter by letter, word by word, statement by statement, right? So still you might ask, why was Aserita Debrot, why were the Aserita Debrot chosen to be the example that, that Moshe Rabbeinu could receive the Torah, that it could come to Moshe Rabbeinu? How come? So let's look. Let's look at the sheet. The sheet, uh, uh, the first pasuk of the parasha, it's called Aserita Debrot, so you know, you know how we are. We're very picky uni about things. So in this pasuk, the word Elohim is uh, is noteworthy, right? Elohim Elokim is is usually considered to be did the just approach to things, right? The, the harsher approach to things, and call hadivarim ha'elag. Why call something davar? What's a davar? I mean, it's like the way we do it, right? We, we kind of sort of make believe, you make believe that you don't understand any words, which you, you know, there's a certain truth to that. And then you try to fit them in. So the, the master is, of course, Rashi. So what does Rashi say about this pasuk? Rashi says, Right? Rashi Elokim means that the world was created it adjusts adjust for like the, the mitzvahs and there are various and if you do mitzvahs you get good and you have various you get bad I mean that's that's called justice that's called justice uh, okay skip the parentheses so Rashi says, quoting the Medrash, of course, but that's that's not our problem. There are in the Torah. The Torah is the Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu gave us. Rashi is talking about the whole Torah, not just a little bit of the Torah. That if you do the mitzvah, you get reward. But if you don't do it, if you don't do the mitzvah, you don't get punished. Puranut. Could it be that the Aserat uh, Adibrot are in that category, in that category as well? Tamud That if you don't do the Aserat Adibrot, if you don't do the Aserat Adibrot, then you're going to get punished. Therefore, in terms of our, uh, our um, original question, whatever it was, what, what is Rashi trying, what is Rashi saying? I mean, I'm not into what Rashi says, but what is Rashi saying? What's the implication of what Rashi says? That there's a difference. The first thing that Rashi says about the parasha of Sarah that they brought, there's a difference between the Sarah that they brought and other parts of the Torah. Well, what's the difference? A Sarah that they brought, if you do it, you get schar, and if you don't do it, you get, you get punished. Whereas in other places in the Torah, there are things where if you, don't, if you do it, you get schar, and if you don't do it, you get, for example, 
mitzvot that tolot ba'aretz, all the mitzvot that depend on Eretz Yisrael, they only refer to somebody who has land. You don't own land in Eretz Yisrael, so you don't have to do the mitzvot. Right, you don't have to give ma'aser. I mean, okay, you're down the line, you do. Uh, but you, you, know, you know what I mean. That if you don't, have, you can't do the mitzvah. If you don't own the land, if you don't own the tree, if you don't have a house, if you, right, there's certain kinds of, of things that you can't do. So Rashi, Rashi, without even blinking an eye, says that there's something really important about a seret that they brought. I think <coughs> that seret that they brought, if you do them, you get schar, and if you don't do them, you, you get punished. Oh, that's interesting. Then the, the end of the pasuk says, Et kol atvarim ha'elu le'mom, lamed, shamar kadosh bochu aseret ha'debrot v'dibur echad. Kol hadvarim ha'elu. Says, why emphasize? What do you mean? God said all of these things. Rashi, put yourself into Rashi's mind. Hashem said everything. It all comes from Hashem. What is that? It's called Atvarim Ayla Leimor. What is that? So Rashi says, Melamed Shabbat Kodesh Vochah. I said that they brought me Dibur Echad. Melamed, ergo, right? Everything came with Dibur Echad. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know, I never had that. I never confronted that. You know, the, the Chazal say that about several things, like Shomer of Zohar, that the first Luchot and the second Luchot, the Luchot in Dvarim, the Aserdot in Dvarim. You know, when Moshe Rabbeinu kind of tells the story of Matan Torah, the Aserdot Dvarim appear. So there are certain small changes. One of them is Zohar Shomer on Shabbat. And so Chazal said, you know, Okay, it happened at the same time. It all happened. At the, they could, that when God speaks, <coughs> there are no limitations. Only when we speak, there are limitations. God could speak it that way. So Rashi says, said that the brot What's What did they learn? What they learn it from? Et kol hadvarim plural lemor to say to say everything to say everything. So Rashi says again. Right? So there was. So you think about it. You think about it. Therefore, what does it mean? That the assert that they brought were given to B'nai Israel in a totally different manner than the rest of the Torah was given to B'nai Israel. The rest of the Torah was given to B'nai Israel in a comprehensible manner. Moshe Rabbeinu taught them the Torah. So when Moshe Rabbeinu taught them the Torah, so he said, That was the words of the Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu taught them. But when God taught the Torah to B'nai Israel, it was with a godly voice. What is a God that they know is a godly voice? He did well, something, he, he did, no, they felt some divine intervention when, he, when, when, God, when God did something that was like he spoke for the first two commands. That's what it means, I think. Maybe. But it's different. Yeah. Rashi says, Rashi, all of these words were said at the same time by God. Somehow people knew that it was God saying all these things at the same time. I mean, I don't know exactly, but it was a miracle. It was a miracle within a miracle, the way Rashi says. Right? It was a super miracle. Not only is God talking to B'nai Israel, but God talking to B'nai Israel in a way that only God could talk. And that's everything. That's what Rashi says. You know when you can squeeze Rashi? Squeeze it and squeeze it, and out comes something else. Now, look at this. 
אם כן, מה תלמוד לומר עוד? אנוכי ולא יהיה לך. So Rashi says, how come, if that's the truth, if et kol, the words, et kol adverim ha'ela mean all of the things that God said to B'nai Yisrael in this special miraculous way, et kol adverim ha'ela, why does the Torah then continue and actually tell us the aseret ha'dibrot, ha'nochi ha'shem lo'kecha lo'yelech, all right? Yes? Okay. Question. שחזר ופירש על כל דיבור ודיבור בפני עצמו. That it's no God said, וידבר אלוקים מכל הדברים האלה לאמור. What are the כל הדברים האלה לאמור? All the assert that they brought. How were they said the assert that they brought? בדיבור אחד, all at one go. Did B'nai Israel understand it? I don't know. I don't know about that. And then Rashi says, so if that's the case, if God told B'nai Yisrael the Aser that they broke, why, if the, the whole point, the whole point was to say that God has the Torah and is willing or able to give it to B'nai Adam. So what difference does it make? What the words that, that as long as B'nai Yisrael understand that that's, that's what's going on. That's the issue. That is the issue. So he says, Chazar upireish al kol dibur u'dibur b'nei atzmo. God went back and then explained each of the dibrot in a comprehensible manner to b'nei Yisrael. Now, why do you think Rashi liked that? Why do you think Rashi quotes that that medrash? Because that's just Rashi. I mean, he's the beginning of that world where everything is interpretation. That's what there is. And here Rashi has an opportunity. Rashi has an opportunity to tell us that that's how the Torah was given. It was given as a mystery and an interpretation. Rashi. Rashi says, what's the mystery? The mystery is that I know that I don't understand it, but if I was better, if I was stronger, if I was more knowledgeable, maybe I would understand it. When I say God said that the asserted they wrote to me the manner that I can't understand, <coughs> okay, I can't understand it. But maybe I could understand it if I was if I was bigger than I am, if I'm better than I am, if I was more learned than I am. And then Akadosh Baruch came down and said, "Here, I'll give you the pshat." That's great. That's Rashi. That's Rashi. I mean, after Rashi. Rashi was the one who, who created Daf Yomi, right? Some people think it was Meir Shapiro and Lublin, but it was Rashi. Because Rashi said you could actually understand, everybody could understand the Gemara. It was a big chiddush. I mean, it was a radical idea. Because you know that for hundreds of years in Babylonia, the center of Jewish education was in Babel. And before that, in Eretz Yisrael. And no one thought of writing Rashi. How come? How come nobody had to wait for Rashi in Germany? What happened in Eretz Israel? What happened in Babel? What happened to Gaonim? You know the Gaonim? It's a name. Like before the Rishonim, what Gaonim? Why didn't they do it? And they assumed it was understandable. The what? They assumed it was understood. I mean, they didn't know that there were people who didn't understand the Gemara? They never met anybody like that? No, I think that they were all elitists. I mean, the, the, the thing about Rashi, the thing about Rashi, which is remarkable, is that, you know, it's like Schottenstein. I mean, I don't think they knew what they were doing. I mean, I can't imagine it. <laughs>
Well, anyway, maybe I'm, maybe I'm mistaken, but I can't imagine it anyway. The idea, the idea that everybody could learn Torah, you know, this is like an interesting idea. Like, where does it come from? Such an idea. I mean, the Mitzvah Talmud Torah doesn't necessarily mean that you have to learn Gemara. Mitzvah Talmud Torah, you can learn halachas, you can learn how to keep uh, how to keep a Jewish life, how to have a Jewish home, and all of that stuff, for which you don't have to learn Gemara. So it was an idea that developed, but in any event, I think that this Rashi, we read three parts, the three parts is Rashi, it's, every word is understandable in Rashi, and yet what Rashi says is that the Aseret Dibrot had a pshat and a drash. Pshat meaning the words, and drash meaning what they mean. Now how does how that fit into Aseret Dibrot? So Rashi says, first the Kaddish Baruch said the whole thing. All at once, the dibur echad. The dibur echad means it was incomprehensible to us. We just knew that it was something special. And then the Kaddish Baruch said, I'll tell you what it says. Which is something that to me reminds me of learning Torah. So this is the first posuk in the parish of Yitro. <coughs> first posuk in the parish of Yitro, which introduces the Aserat that they broke. Now, the, the, the parashiyot in Shemot that relate to Talmud Torah, the parashiyot in Shemot that relate to Talmud Torah are two. Yidra and Mishpatim. In Mishpatim, there's an expansion of the content of the Torah. Uh, where, where, when exactly this happened, what the chronology is, as you know, is very problematic. Check out the Rishonim to find out what it is. But at the end of Mishpatim, at the end of Mishpatim, God told Moshe Rabbeinu his sample of Torah, his Torah, Mishpatim. And Moshe Rabbeinu, I guess, was going to teach it to B'nai Yisrael. And then Moshe Rabbeinu said, do you want the Torah? Meaning, not just the assert that they wrote, not just the Sarah that they wrote, which is parenthesis, parenthesis, which is Christianity, but you want the Torah, which invades every kind of part of your life and makes everything uh, an issue, right? You want that Torah? So they said, eventually they said, Naseh v'nishma, right? They said, Naseh v'nishma, and then Moshe Rabbeinu went up and received the rest of the Torah, which he taught to B'nai Yisrael in the 38 years. What the rest of the Torah, the relationship between the rest of the Torah and what happened in the 38 years, we'll get to maybe next week. So the last pasuk, the last pasuk of Matan Torah in Parshat Mishpatim, or near the end, is this pasuk, the second on the sheet. Vayom Hashem al-Moshe, Alei Elai Ahara Ve'yesha. Come up to me to the mountain. Now this was not... So yes, this is that they broke, right? But we're still above Siva. Still on the day. Everything's happening fast. Right? And I want you to dwell there for a while. Doesn't say how long, but it'll be a while. And then I will give you to Moshe Rabbeinu. Three, it says, First thing is the stones. Right, Evan, stones, luach, a luach is a, what's a luach? What? Tablets. What's it called? In English? Tablets. A tablet. <laughs> so I was just in South Africa, they said, told me that a tablet is a pill. Like you're sick, you take a tablet. 
So I thought that was funny. It says Luchota Eben, and then it says Torah and Mitzvah. Like, these are like very cumulative type world words. So you know, the, you want to know what's the difference? What's Luchota Eben? What's Torah? What's Mitzvah? This is what it says in the Pasuk, and then it says Shekatapti Lorotam. Shekatapti, you know that the first time the Torah was given, the Luchota Eben came directly from God. They were fashioned by God, they were written by God. Whereas the second time around, it's a little bit different. So look at what, Ra- what Rashi says. Now we know when Rashi said that Matan Torah, what did he mean? He meant when Moshe Rabbeinu went to Har Sinai, but he heard God talking to Moshe Rabbeinu, B'dibur Echad, and then I started that he wrote. Alei Elai Ahara V'yeshah Marba'im Yom Rashi says, okay, thank you very much. Et luchot ha'evim v'atarav ha'mitzvah she'katavti l'orotav. Okay? So what is all this? What's, what is Torah? What's luchot ha'evim? And what's Torah? And what's mitzvah? I mean, you know, I mean, Moshe Rabbeinu understood what God was saying. What was the clarification? Rashi says, kol sheish v'el shloshu zei mitzvot what what is is the agreed number of mitzvot in the Torah. Six hundred and thirteen. What's not agreed? Which ones? Which which are the three six hundred thirteen? Thank God, the Jews could like fight about something. But the idea of six hundred thirteen seems to be accepted by everybody at the time of the Rishonim, the time of the Rambam, for example, the time of the Rambam, the Bahag, of Sadiagod, of it's already 700 years, several hundred years that I'm referring to. And at that time, that time, people were interested. What are the 613? Can you, can you count them out for me? Can you show them to me? So there's, of course, a major difference of opinion between the Rambam, <coughs> who wrote a book called Sefer HaMitzvot, the Rambam, Sefer Mitzvot, not the, they weren't so good at titles. Sefer Mitzvot, where he lists the Mitzvot in the Torah, right? The Rambam. And the Ramban wrote, uh, not a commentary, but uh, um, a critical examination of the Mitzvot. And sometimes the Ramban said, well, this is not a Mitzvah, but you have to put in something else, right? He didn't disagree about the number. But he disagreed about which mitzvot are mitzvot and which are not mitzvot. Of course, you know, there are really many more than 613 mitzvot if you parse them. You know, like details. Each detail could be called a mitzvah sometimes. So that there are many more. The question is how you eliminate, really, the ones that, uh, that you eliminate to get down to the number 613. Even though the Rambam says at the end, in the Sefer Mitzvot, you look at the Sefer Mitzvot, it's divided to Asay and Lotase. Like, you know, the reasonable way to divide it up. So at the end of the section on Asay, on positive commandments, the Rambam says, but today all we have is 64 mitzvot. We don't do any, well, all the mitzvot connect there to Israel. We don't do all the mitzvot connected to the Beit HaMikdash. We don't do it. So there you go. So there's hardly any left. So if anybody complains to you about all the mitzvot that they have to do, just tell them that it could be a lot worse. <laughs> it's potentially a lot, a lot worse. You know? So Rashi says, 
Bichlal Aserta Dibrote. So Rashi explains this way. Luchota Eben. Look at the Pesach. It says, God said to Moshe, I'm going to give you Luchota Eben. And what did the Luchota Eben contain? All the Torah and all the mitzvot. How could that be? I look out to heaven, they only contain ten commandments. The last time I looked in Shul, on top of the Aaron Kodesh, there are only ten commandments. Not more. So Rashi says, in a, in a departure from Rashi. Very interesting, but this, uh, this is Rashi, you could believe me. Rabbeinu Sa'adya Piresh Baz Harot. Rabbi Sa'adya. Rabbi Sa'adya is Rabbi Sa'adya Gom, who lived several hundred years before Rashi but who was a person of great stature. He was great both in halakha and both in other things, you know, like emunah and bitachon and, you know. Rabbeinu Sa'ad Yepirish Ba'azharot Sheyesad lekol dibur v'dibur mitzvot atluyot bo. So what did Rabbi Sa'ad do? He took the 613 mitzvot and he made 10 categories out of them. Like he put them into categories. And each category he put into one of the Aserat that they wrote. And therefore, Rashi says, that's the Pshat. The Pshat is that God said to Moshe Rabbi, I'm going to give you Luchot Evan. And what do Luchot Evan contain? All the Torah and the Mitzvah. How so? Oh, you know, this is not a trick. And Rashi didn't have a better answer to the how so than to quote Rabbi Sadiago which is a departure, not the regular thing. Rashi doesn't usually quote Ga'onim. Rashi usually quotes Chazal, right? Tanaim and Emoraim. But here he felt that there was a need, that there was some sort of, of need to do that. So that the implication is, I think, the implication is that when God told Moshe the assert that they brought for Moshe Rabbeinu, it turned into Kol HaTorah. And then what was missing, what was missing was Luchota Evan. In other words, first the Kodesh Baruch told Moshe Rabbeinu, first the Kodesh Baruch told Moshe Rabbeinu, the Aseret that they wrote, in a manner that people could not understand. And now he says to Moshe Rabbeinu, if you go up on the mountain, I'm going to give you the Aseret that they wrote in Luchota Evan, and they will contain Torah and Mitzvah. So how you differentiate these two events is not so obvious, but, but it was an attempt. I mean, uh, Rashi, Rashi here is attempting to explain to us how Kola Kula gets into the Aserat that they brought and uh, by, by implication, the first time Moshe Rabbeinu went up in Harsinai also was Aserat that they brought. Okay, so we learned the Rashi. Now, there's a Mishnah in Masech Davot. You see the next, the next source? The Mishnah Masech Davot. The beginning of Parakeh. It says, Basorah Ma'amarot Nebra'olam. The Mishnah, the Mishnah probably because, or possibly because there was a problem always of remembering things, likes to create these mnemonic devices. One of them is Asara. Right? They say, ten. How many tens are there? Right? You know, like that song they sing on Pesach for some reason. You know, it, 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 you know like, every, like numbers are important. So it says, Basaram ma'amarot nivraha olam. Basaram ma'amarot olam. What does that mean? What's a ma'amar? A ma'amar is 
Aleph Mem Resh, God speaking. Vayomer Elokim Yehi Or. Vayhi Or. So what is, what's a ma'amar? Vayomer. Vayomer, so that the creation of the world, part of the creation is a creation through Amira. Amira. Umat Almud Lomar. So the, the, the Mishnah asked the question, so why, why did God do it that way? Why didn't God just say, poof, there's a world? Of course, the same question you have to ask about Yitziat Mitzrayim. Why did it have to be ten makot? Why could there just be one makah and everybody leave? So the answer is whatever the answer is, but it's the question, it's a question that, that can be applied to that as well. And to kind of pay back or punish the evildoers that destroyed the world. The world was created in ten stages. In other words, every time you do an Avera, you're contradicting a, a, a greater uh, plan of creation. You're like trying to wreck that, uh, that a creation, but the ongoing creation, the, 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 the double, triple, quadruple creation. That's what, that's what the, the Mishnah says. It says, okay, you have to try to, this is not our topic today, but clearly it's worth thinking about. Like why Asra Mamarot makes a difference, why the Sahar is different, why the Onish is different. So this, again, the, the Rambam. Uh, the Rambam, you know, wrote a parish on the Mishnah before he wrote he, what, what he called the Yad HaChazaka, before he wrote his, his great work on Halakha. He wrote a parish on the Mishnah, and he thought, apparently, that, uh, that that would be sufficient. He could sort of get all the Halakha into this parish on the Mishnah, but, but, but he figured out, but he found out eventually that it was, it, it was not good enough. The Mishnah was too, just too narrow. It didn't include a lot of material in the Gemara. And so he wrote the Yad HaChazakah. He wrote the Perish Mishnah earlier, and he wrote in Arabic, or Judeo-Arabic, what they call Judeo-Arabic. He wrote it in Arabic because he wanted to have wide, uh, uh, wide popularity. He would say that all the people that he was involved with spoke Arabic rather than Hebrew. And uh, so he wrote in Arabic, it was translated shortly thereafter by somebody in the Ibn Tibbin family. There was a family of translators, uh, well-known, well right, scholars, and what they were, that was their, how they did it. I don't know how, who paid for it or how they kept themselves going, but they translated all of the works that the Rambam wrote in Arabic into Hebrew, into their Hebrew. Uh, the Yad HaChazakah, the Rambam wrote in Hebrew. When you see from the, the Yad HaChazakah that he, he had, the Rambam had great facility in Hebrew. Even though he didn't speak it to anybody and it was not, you know, they didn't get lessons in Hebrew, but 
And they must have learned in Hebrew, or well, some people learned in Hebrew. Some people must have learned in Arabic. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. So the Rambam says this. The Rambam in his parish on the Mishnah in Obos, even though Obos is not so halachic, but the Rambam wrote a commentary which included his parish on the... So the Rambam says, If you look at everything that was created in Breshit, you see all the times it says Vayomer, he says, you'll find that there are nine and not ten. The Mishnah says there are ten, but if you go to count them, you're only going to find nine. But Breshit is a, is a, a Siri. The first Pasuk, where it says Breshit Bara, it's as though God said, right, even doesn't say Vayomer uh, uh, in the first pasuk, right? It doesn't say Vayomer. But the Ramah says it's as though it said Vayomer. Because that's what it really means. The Fisheim Lohayumi Bale. They, there was no again if you go back it's as though the Pesach says the Pesach says but it's as though it says and God said let there be because even because Breshit means the first thing that was created so Ramam says it's as though it says it it's as though it says it and it could, God could have said the whole thing in, in one time, one go. And God could have, instead of dividing it up into ten, could have made the whole thing in one. But, but there was a different Amira for each each of these uh, creations. Okay, you know the Rambam was a scientist. He was not, certainly not against science. He thought that Abbas Hashem, Abbas Hashem comes to you if, you if you look at things, if you investigate them, if you see how complex everything is in the world and how much God uh, concerned himself, so to speak, to take care of us. Right, you know, I was sort of, the revelation came to me in high school when they taught me about photosynthesis. You know, photosynthesis. Mm-hmm. It's very complicated. I mean, for a high school student. And so I said, wow, so that's Abbas Hashem. Photosynthesis. It's just for us, we can't live without photosynthesis, without those little, little animals flying from bird to bird and, you know, using up whatever it's using up. I, so he says, he's, that's called Gidulat Zot HaMetziyut V'Shichlulah V'Shem Mavsida Mavsida V'Agadol And if somebody destroys part of creation you're destroying a great thing And if you fix creation then you're fixing a great, a great thing with what am I? What am I referring to? And I thought I talk about losing something. Asher yavsid nafshov lo yeshaleim b'mino. Right? He's not going to be. He's not going to be happy with himself. He won't be happy with his uh, 
with, with who he is. This is the Rambam. The Rambam was like a, like a halachic person. Because what he says, he says, if you don't, you have to integrate yourself into creation. You have to be part of it. You have to see the goodness in it. Or if you don't see the goodness in creation, if you take yourself out of it, then, then, then you are worthy of punishment. He says, metakna, somebody who fixes the creation, fixes whatever is going on by doing mitzvot, obviously. Metakena show. He becomes the possessor of a fixed soul. This you can do for yourself, the Rambam says. It's different. It's different. So the Rambam says, how come God created the world because he wanted to give us more to look at, more to see, more to think about, more to fix and more to theoretically, uh, unfortunately, destroy. But if you choose to fix the world that you live in, if you fix the world that you live in and you kind of have this symbiotic relationship with creation, then you you, you fix your soul. So that you see that the answer to the question about why they were ten instead of one, ten is a very big number. I mean, you have to think about it in terms of like when we count, right? Like ten is the biggest number that there is? No? Well, if you think about it, ten is the biggest number that there is. Because to get from 10 to 100, you add a zero, which is nothing. To get to 1,000, you add another zero, which is also nothing. So you see that 10, if you th- like if you have this kind of Maharalian vision of things, you can think about 10 as being the biggest number in the world. It makes the point. It makes the point. So what does the Rambam say? Why do you have 10, 10 words of creation of the world? Because that gives you all the possibilities of looking into creation. Why do you have ten mitzvot? The Rabbin doesn't say it, but we can look at it, we can add it on. Why do you have ten mitzvot into Sertadibrot? Because that tells you everything. Everything about mitzvot, everything about Averot. That's the number ten. There's only ten. There's not more than ten. Like 613, six is less than ten, and one is less than ten, and three is less than ten. They're all less than ten. So that means all together. <coughs> They make up the totality, the totality of Aserita Dibrot, the totality of the mitzvot. Rav Sadia Gold said, how do you get to that totality? You divide up all the mitzvot into ten categories, Rashi said. That's what Rav Sadia Gold said, meaning, I like it. <coughs> I think it's, uh, it's good. So we understand that there is this kind of um, tension between Asara meaning ten, the word asura meaning ten, and the word asura meaning everything. I hope I made, managed to make that clear. The, the number ten, the number ten can mean one less than eleven, but it could also mean everything that there is. Like if you wanted to, the biggest number, you wanted to say everything. Now there's no number that says everything. Ten might be the appropriate number. Ten. No? We often rate things in life on a level of one to ten, with ten meaning it's perfect. Fully a hundred. Fully a hundred. Yeah, but I think it comes from this. It's not that this comes from that. 
You know, in other words, it's a Sersha Dibros that is the everything idea. The everything idea is in the Sersha Dibros. There are ten statements. The ten what? In the Sersha Dibros, there are ten statements. Yeah, so. Yeah, but when God told them to Moshe Rabbeinu, according to Chazal, it all came out as one. It all was one statement. It's true that we're, that's exactly the point that you know you can count them individually, but you can't imagine them to be everything. And that's what we saw by the Sefer that they wrote. The last source that I'd like to look at quickly is Rabbi Yosef Albo wrote a book called Sefer Karim. Now you know that there was that in Jewish history. Uh, let's say this: you should know that in Jewish history, people have have different concerns. People have had different concerns. For example, today, people are very concerned about, uh, let's say, Hilchot Shabbat. People are very interested. They want to do Shabbat. They don't want to do anything wrong. They want to do anything wrong. So, so today, if you say to a fellow student or a fellow Jew that God is very concerned about whether you put the silverware back into the silverware tray or you just leave it undifferentiated on Shabbos, right? So... Of course, any non-Jew who would hear that would think that we've lost our minds and are on the way to oblivion, so why even bother? But you have to understand, you have to understand that those of, those of us who have had, uh, let's say, sons in yeshiva, I mean, we understand that we're under constant uh, terror barrages about uh, how, to do, how to do it really, really right. You know, like today, this is the era of really right. My suggestion always is, and those people don't pay attention to me, is always capitulate. Because when it comes to meaningless, you should always capitulate. I mean, why not? What difference does it make? So I always capitulate. So, but there were other times in Jewish history where other things were very, very important. For example, before the Gerush Yisrael, that's a good year to remember, 1492, before the Jews were exiled, exiled from, from Spain, uh, there was a time when the interaction between the Jews and the Christians were very, uh, was very harsh and unfortunate. And this bred, this bred to a lot of results. One of them was that from time to time there were debates that were run between well-educated Christians and well-educated Jews. And these debates, uh, the, these debates were are very unfortunate for the Jews because if they lose the debate, if a Jew debates against a non-Jew and loses, so that uh, places uh, the Jewish community in, in internal danger. Like a person say, well, you know, here we put up our best guy, and he lost. So maybe we're wrong. And if they win, they win, it was even worse. Because then the Christians would claim whatever they would claim. But eventually, you know, it led, it led to the Inquisition. The Inquisition was a, a non-verbal debate. You know, either you convert or we kill you. There was no, there was no other side. So, uh, so you have to. I mean, I don't know anything about this, but if you, if you probably, if the early periods, you know, these Christians defended the Inquisition, right? There was a, you know, they didn't just kill people; they killed the people who should be killed, which is not quite the same in the in the, the way you think about it. But it led it led in history to a lot of other bad things. So. So at that time, at that time, distinguishing the fundamentals of the faith of the Jewish people 
as against the fundamental faith of other religions was very important. And so Yosef Albo, Yosef Albo in Spain, wrote a book called Sefer HaIkarim. Wrote a book called Sefer HaIkarim. Sefer HaIkarim is the book of uh, principles, the principles that, are, that every Jew must accept as being principles. Amongst them, of course, was Torah Ben HaShemayim. Now this follows, this follows, of course, uh, the Rambam did it. Didn't write a book, but he wrote an introduction to the Perak He wrote the, the Ikre Hadat. You know that in the most Sidurim, and mostly the rim that people use today, at the, at the end of chakras, they have the anima means, right, they're called? And these anima means are a restatement of the Rambam's Ikare Hadat. And it's also Yigdal, right? This idea that there are Ikare Hadat, that, that there are fundamentals of faith that you have to expect, that you have to accept these and this, of course, was part of the debates that took place later on between the Jews and the Christians in Spain. Right, we don't... Okay, so anyway, listen to the, to the Sefer Yikorim. I'll have to do it. I'll have to do it quickly. You see where I am? The first line. Yitba'er. Nothing's going to change. The Torah remains the Torah. That's a principle of Torah. The Torah does not does not change. Now, what what that means exactly? I mean, maybe somebody can come and prove that there is a change. If you take a Korei Tanakh, you know what I mean. The old Korei Tanakh, the one volume old before Matthew Miller took over Korei, there was a Korei. So you take a one volume Korei. In the back of the one volume Korei, it lists the numbers of changes between Ashkenazic and Sephardic Sifrei Torah. And there are three of them, three little changes, a Vav and a Yud, which proves to my mind, is absolutely miraculous, how the, even from the, from the 8th century, the 9th century, until Gutenberg, <coughs> until the 16th century, there were no printing presses, everybody did everything by hand, Every every Torah is pretty much exactly the same. Believe me, it's remarkable. Try to write the Sefer Torah. When they heard these two Dibrot, he's holding like the Chazal that says that they actually heard two Dibrot. Not what Rashi said, <coughs> but a different Chazal. That they heard two different Anochi and Lo Yelacha. Listen to what he says. So that proved to them that they could be Torah Min HaShamayim. It could be. That was enough. Plus, that this somehow connects to God who is commanding it. Right? They learned two things. In, in other words, they had their faith was based on a tradition of faith, based on Avram, based on Yitzchak, based on Yaakov, based on Yosef, based on Moshe, but they did not have the experience that they had of confronting God directly. This happened to them at Har Sinai. And God watches 
and takes care of those and punishes the people who deny his will of Mishalem Shachato Av and pays uh, and, and gives a reward to those who fear him that takes them out of freedom to slavery all of this B'nai Yisrael really 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 understood at the time of Har Sinai now that, that Bechlal is something to think about like when did Moshe Rabbeinu when did God know when did B'nai Yisrael sorry when did B'nai Yisrael know but it says in the Apostle that's a certain level of understanding and Har Sinai was another level of understanding. For B'nai Yisrael, the ultimate level of understanding that took place at Har Sinai. That's what he says. That's what it says in the Pasuk. That when God took them out of Mitzrayim, they understood. They understood from this event that God is watchful over them and takes care of the world. It's not uh, reasonable to serve anything, any other God. And even if you only serve the other God in an intermediary fashion, like you say, oh, you know, I'll, 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 uh, I'll serve the moon, but really I, I want to serve God, but you see from a certain degree, you can't do that. There's no intermediate service. The 25th chapter of the first section. He says, You see, he's talking about Christianity. He says the difference between the different religions believing God, will not come in its most general statements. So he says, he says there's no doubt that the main difference between, he's talking about Christianity and Judaism is that we do mitzvot, and they don't, which is true, that what, uh, that, that the rise of uh, Christianity was probably a function of the fact that they said you don't have to keep the mitzvot. It was just like, you know, it didn't, uh, uh, it didn't work out for them. The, like Judaism was too tough, it was too, uh, too demanding. And so, so Paul said, okay, you know, just do what you can. And, what if, and you're good, you know, we like you. We like you and the Jews somehow didn't accept that. Didn't accept that. But in any event, the the Sefer Karim, the Sefer emphasizes the fact, emphasizes the fact that Har Sinai was not a time of information. It wasn't the information that they received, but it was the experience that they had. And it was the first time that an entire nation, an entire nation, meaning all kinds of people, all kinds of people in the nation. I mean, the people who deserved to uh, go to leave Mitzrayim uh, were, were probably not all of the same cloth. They were not cut of the same cloth. They were not all, you know, learning Torah, Yom and Belayla. They, they were the better people, but they weren't the, all the best people. And some, they also had this experience together. And the experience taught them that God, according to the Sefer Karim, is watching them which is part of uh, 
became a very serious part of Jewish belief. <coughs> and the second thing is that what we call Matan Torah, that God would give a Torah to B'nai Yisrael, that that could happen. That, that could happen, and that's what, that's what the parasha of, of, uh, of uh, Yidro is about. Just to add on as a footnote, the parasha of Mishpatim, parasha of Mishpatim, which is not a beloved parasha by most students of uh, yeshiva high schools because they have to learn all those Rashi's that Rashi's talking about. So the, the, the parasha of Mishpatim, right, is about the content. It, in, in other words, if the parasha of Yitro, parasha of Yitro, the, the, uh, uh, what we call Matan Torah, is about the experience, the, the, the proof to B'nai Yisrael that it could happen. Because, because it's not just, I, I, used to, I used to tell, you know, you know the, uh, you know, people are gullible. Mm-hmm. The people are gullible. You could try, sometimes convince them of things that are, not, that are not true. So Joseph Smith was upstate New York. He had nothing to do. A guy named Joseph Smith. And he said that he found these tablets under a tree. And he wrote them down. He rewrote them. He prophesied. And they called it the Book of the Mormon. And because people are the way they are today, there are a lot of them. Mormons. A lot of Mormons, right? Even in, in Yerushalayim, there are Mormons. Mm-hmm. <coughs> uh, the Mormons are a story. So, so uh, uh, the thing is that he could not recreate the experience for the community. They had to believe him. They had to believe him. So if you could prove he was a fake, that you would think that would end it. But that, it's not how it works. People... They want to believe what they want to believe, and it doesn't matter what you prove. As we see today here in Israel, Israel is a great, uh, a great example. Great example of that, uh, you know, whatever. So I'll say again, Yidro is the parasha of the experience that indicated to B'nai Yisrael that God might give an actual Torah to them, because they were either present or in the, as the Rambam says, they were kind of in the head of Moshe Rabbeinu. Just like Moshe Rabbeinu was receiving the Sarah that they brought, they were also receiving whatever Moshe Rabbeinu was receiving. They knew it was true. They knew it was true. Because the first two statements. Maybe. Yeah, either they did or they didn't. Elohinami. Parsha Mishpatim, next week's parsha, is about accepting the Torah. It's like HaKadosh Baruch said to Moshe Rabbeinu, here's, here's, a, here's a, like a piece of Torah, a, a big piece of Torah, teach it to B'nai Yisrael and see if they're willing to accept that lifestyle. That's not part of, that's not part of Yitro. Yitro is about overriding uh, uh, obligations. And Mishpatim is about the fact that every day you confront a Torah issue. Every day and every every, I see if they want that. If they want that, even though they know that God is giving the Torah, they have the free choice opportunity to accept it, right? They accept that. That's the parish of Mishpatim. Okay, have a good Shabbos. Uh, good.